Jeff Bowie is Psalm 118 and can be found on page 606 in the Red Blue Bibles. Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord, he brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's nice to be uh, with you once again uh, as we look together at God's Word. Uh, last week, if you were here, we looked at Psalm 116. Uh, today, 118. And if you want to uh, have a look at Psalm 117, the one that comes in between, it's two verses. So I don't think we'll make a whole sermon out of two verses of a psalm. So you can have a read of that yourself. Let's pray and then uh, we'll look at this passage. Our loving Father, we thank you uh, so much for your word that you speak to us and you reveal yourself, you reveal your truth, you reveal your purposes for us as your people. Uh, help us as we reflect on the words of this psalm and as we think about our own lives and as we think about your work in the world and in us. Help us to be strengthened, encouraged in our faith that we might stand firm. We pray it in Jesus' name. You may not have noticed it um, if you're following on the screen, but it's a bit more obvious actually if you're following it in the Bible. But um, the first verse of this psalm 
is exactly the same as the last verse. It begins in exactly the same way as it ends. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Um, I guess those words, that reminder to give thanks to God, they sort of form bookends uh, at the beginning and the end of the psalm. Always being thankful to God in, in good times, but also in hard times as well. The psalm really picks up many of the same sort of themes in, as the one that we looked at last week, Psalm 116. It'll do us no harm again to see them and to think about it again this week. Being thankful. Just remembering to say thank you, especially remembering to say thank you to God. It ought to come naturally to us. And uh, yet we know with our, our children, our grandchildren, we're constantly reminding them to say please and thank you. And we need to be reminded again to be thankful towards God. For he is good. We thought about God's goodness last week. Notice the reason for the psalmist's thankfulness to God. It says his love endures forever. And he wants to make sure that everyone realises this. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord, because you know that's kind of everyone, his love endures forever. That's interesting, isn't it? So our thankfulness towards God is not just simply something that flows out of our own experience of the good things that God gives to us, but it flows out of who he is and what he is like, his enduring love. His love endures forever. It's stated five times uh, during the course of this psalm. I think he wants people to remember that Maybe he wants people to say it out loud so that they don't forget. And we should do that. Just say it. His love endures forever. 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 If you remember nothing else from this sermon, that's a great thing to focus on, isn't it? As we think about the goodness of God and, and we think about um, his great love for us, we know that if we didn't have those, if we had lost sight of God's goodness and his love, then really we're left with nothing, we, we would despair. But we hang on to those things and they make us thankful. However, the writer of this psalm knows that life in this world uh, can be really hard. It's not always easy to keep our eyes fixed on the goodness and the love of God. And so in verse 5, uh, the writer of the psalm sort of thinks back to the time when, as he says here, he was hard-pressed. Uh, if you look in the old version of the NIV and the Red Bibles, it says he was in anguish. Uh, another of the versions says, when I was really hurting. Uh, another puts it rather graphically, when pushed to the wall. In September 2002, Louisa Hope was diagnosed with multiple cirrhosis. Uh, in the same month, she turned 40 and her husband divorced her. It was a pretty tough time 
for Louisa. Life had been tough for her. In December 2014, uh, she was having coffee with her mum. They were in the Lent Cafe, Mark Place. The chances, I'm told, of any one Australia, Australian having MS and being caught up in a terrorist hostage situation is one in 39 billion. Thankfully, Louisa and her mother survived the siege and that terrifying gunfight that uh, brought it to an end, although she was pelted with shrapnel, including one really nasty piece of shrapnel that was embedded in her left foot. She spent three months in hospital, uh, three operations, and now she walks with the aid of a stick. ABC journalist Lee Sales earlier this year uh, published a book that is entitled Any Ordinary Day. Uh, you probably can't read the subtitle from there, but it says Blindsides, Resilience, and What Happens After the Worst Day of Your Life. Uh, she interviews a number of basically pretty ordinary people going about their ordinary day, but who were confronted with anything but ordinary circumstances. And she's interested to understand how people manage to get on with life and seem to find the resilience not only to survive but in some cases to thrive after being so hard-pressed, as the writer of the psalm puts it. Louisa Hope is, is the first person that is spoken about in the book. Uh, and Lee Sales asks her, when this cluster of events happened all at once, did you think why me? It's not fair. How did you process it? She asks. Louisa thinks for a few moments. It was shocking and life-changing. It really was. It's like you're standing on the shore watching the ocean suck the life right out of you. But, she adds, the truth is, I believe in God. I have a personal faith. And I had to just rely on that. It was like, I have to trust God's best intention for my life. Otherwise, I would have just fallen into a screaming heap. It's not the kind of reply that Lee Sales, uh, who is sceptical at best when it comes to religion, it's not the kind of reply that she was expecting. But as you read through the dialogue, it's very clear that Louise's Christian faith it's very deep, very sincere, and it made all the difference to how she managed that experience. Uh, the second person that's interviewed and that's uh, spoken about in the book is Michael Spence. Uh, he's a Vice-Chancellor at Sydney University. Uh, Sales writes, in 1988 he met Beth at Oxford University. They married and spent nearly two decades living and working in the UK and building a family. In 2008, Michael was invited to become Vice-Chancellor of Sydney University and the family, including five children aged from 3 to 16, moved to Australia. The first sign that something was wrong came uh, four years, about four years after their arrival, when Beth, Michael's wife, complained of a sore hip. 
She was admitted to hospital on November the 28th, 2012. Michael says very precisely and deliberately. On the 3rd of December, she was diagnosed as having cancer in her back, bowel, liver and hips. By the 22nd of December, she was dead. Now both Michael and Beth had been committed Christians for many years. Michael actually is an ordained Anglican minister. How do you think your view changed? Asks Lisa House. And, uh, if you watch 7.30, but she asked virtually the same question of Michael Parkinson just this, this week. How do you think your view changed? Michael pauses to think. I kept a list on my phone of ways in which I felt looked after. Bizarre coincidences and things that would happen seemed like God saying, I haven't altogether forgotten you. I'm still here. We can get through this. I think it deepened my faith, he says. And I don't say that glibly because I know that for lots of people having a sad experience of one kind or another can really decimate their faith. So I don't say it the slightest bit piously or judgmentally. But for me, it did deepen my faith. Now, Lee Sales remains personally sceptical about God and Christian faith. But she's struck by the fact that these two obviously intelligent and thoughtful people have a Christian faith, and that Christian faith makes all the difference. A huge positive difference in their lives. As I read the rest of the book, quite frankly, what astounded me was the other people, most of whom apparently have no faith in God, and yet who do somehow seem to manage to survive physically and emotionally in the most devastating circumstances. And I want to say that that's God's goodness too. They may never have asked God to help them. They may not realise that God is the one who's caring for them and providing for them, and they may not thank him. But that's the goodness of God. We don't know what circumstances were that caused the writer of this psalm to feel so hard-pressed. It may have been something very personal for him. Uh, we do know that this was another of the psalms, along with 116, that was traditionally used at Passover time. And he may even be reflecting on the experience of the nation of Israel as a whole, when they were slaves uh, in, in Egypt and God rescued them and brought them out in the events of the Exodus and set them free. When hard-pressed, he says, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can me immortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. Friend, it's the most natural thing for a believer to do in the midst of distress and crisis, even if it is nothing more than that three word prayer that we thought about last week, Lord, save me. Cry to the Lord. 
that assurance, the Lord is with me. God's presence in the midst of hardship. It really does make all the difference in the world. It can still be terrifying to go through. And yet it's sort of a strange kind of hopeful fear. It's not hopeless. There's a hope that is there because of God. He is my helper. God's power is there. And not only is God present to care and to support and to uphold us, but he's powerful and he's able to change things. Uh, the New Testament book of Hebrews uh, quotes from the Old Testament the promise in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6. Uh, you may want this as a memory verse in scripture, anyone? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And then it's interesting, the writer in Hebrews uh, quotes from this psalm, Psalm 118, and, and he makes it his own in a very personal way. He says, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Temptation, of course, is to put our trust in other people. But, says the writer of the psalm, that, that's doomed to failure. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans, mere mortals, as he describes them. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes, even the most powerful human beings. Then verses 10 through to 14 present a, a kind of word picture of total victory. It's a scene of complete victory over all my enemies. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. It says it three times. All the problems, I cut them down. I wish my life felt like that. You know, complete victory. Everything going smoothly, just as I wanted to. All the problems and difficulties just sort of disappearing in the wave of a hand. Your life like that? Mine's not. Life is, is not like that, is it, most of the time? Even the Christian life, even having God with us as our helper, even when we're really doing our best to trust in God and we know that nothing is beyond God's power, it can still be incredibly hard. Ask Louise hope. Ask Michael Spence. Think about your own life, your own experiences. And yet we hear, see here something really profound. It's kind of only hinted at here in the Old Testament before the time of Jesus. It's in the second half of verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. Now we know that the great gift of God's salvation, that we have freely, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that great gift of eternal life. We have that assurance, that certainty in Christ. God never promises an easy life, filled with victory and everything just, you know, going swimmingly for us. But through Jesus, he does promise us that day when Every tear will be wiped away. When 
all the suffering and the pain and the distress of this world, even death itself, will be no more. The Lord has become my salvation. Then in the, the second half of this psalm, the writer uses very uh, three very physical kind of images to uh, encourage his fellow worshippers. Uh, the first seems to be in the form of a song. Uh, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. And then it seems like he's quoting the words of the psalm. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Uh, when I started working on this psalm a few weeks back, uh, our nine-year-old grandson had broken his right arm. And he was in a plaster cast from, from his hand right up to above his elbow. And uh, that was a bit of a challenge for him. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of just an accident that happened. Accidents can happen when grandparents are looking after their grandchildren. <laughs> we were kind of thankful it was the other grandparents. It wasn't us. Well, they were upset about it, of course. It was an accident. But it was a bit of a challenge for uh, young Damien for those six weeks that his right arm was in plaster. There's just some things that he really had trouble doing with one hand and trouble doing with his left hand rather than his right hand. And you think, well, why does this psalm use this very physical language of God's right hand? We know that God is not limited by a physical body. and He's not limited by a radius and an ulnar. They're the two bones there that can so easily snap. But it's not how to see the point that's being made. Uh, I don't know if you're a lefty. This may be a bit different for you. Any left-handers here? Oh, yes. Oh, quite a few. <laughs> Even left-hand people put up their right hand to answer a question. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> the point is we use our right hand, our right arm, to do stuff. It's how we make things happen. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Bible will have nothing of this idea of a God who is just sort of out there somewhere, who is simply observing this world, you know, watching, waiting to see what's going to happen. The God of the Bible is a God who is active. He is involved in this world. He is at work. He is doing things in the world. He is doing things in our own lives. There are times when we're very much aware of God at work, God's right hand, doing things. Sometimes we struggle to understand it. Sometimes we have difficulty working out why God is doing certain things, why he's allowing certain things to happen. Maybe we even have doubts whether he's even there at all. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he's not given me over to death. So this image of God's right hand, powerful, strong, doing things. And the second very physical image here is, is of a bit of a strange one. It's of the gate. Open for me the gate of righteousness 
I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. Now we usually think of a gate as something that you shut and you close it in order to perhaps keep out intruders or maybe to keep you know, young children or pets within in an area that, that is safe. But here the idea of the gate is as a way in. It says, open for me the gates. I will enter and give thanks. Perhaps he's thinking about the temple there in Jerusalem where God's people came and entered so that they could meet with the Lord and, and worship him together. Uh, do you remember that great passage in, in the New Testament in John chapter 10 where Jesus speaks about himself as the good shepherd? Uh, it's a great passage, but Jesus actually, he sort of mixes his metaphors a bit there. I don't know if you ever noticed it. He also says, very truly I tell you, I am the gate of the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So what will the psalmist do when he says he enters through this gate into the presence of God? What will he say? I will give thanks to you, give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The third very physical image that's used here uh, is of a stone. Although it's clearly no ordinary stone. It says the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it is marvellous in our eyes. Uh, this is actually a passage that is quoted quite a bit in the New Testament or referred to sort of indirectly, um, to refer, of course, to Jesus. It was used by Jesus himself. Uh, I don't know what your memory is like, but when, when I was with you last year, we looked at some of the parables of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. And in, in Matthew chapter 21, we read about that parable that's called the parable of the tenants. Do you remember how... Jesus speaks about a landowner who plants a vineyard and leases it out to tenants. But when the owner sends his messengers and then eventually sends his own son uh, to collect the produce from the vineyard, the tenants seize them and beat them and even kill them. And the religious leaders who listened as Jesus told this parable, uh, they knew that he was talking about them. Have you never read the scriptures? Jesus asked them, and he, then he quotes directly from this psalm, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. The stone rejected by men and women that becomes the cornerstone, the most important stone that is crucial to the, the structure, and it is, of course, Jesus himself. And then later on, after Jesus had died and risen again to life and had ascended into heaven, in Acts chapter 4, we uh, read of the occasion when Peter and John were boldly telling the people of Jerusalem about Jesus. And the people were responding, and it says that the number of believers had grown to over 5,000. And the religious leaders, again, were incensed both at this preaching about Jesus and also because that lame man had been miraculously healed. By what power or what name did you do this, they demand to know. 
And it's interesting, as part of his reply, Peter directly quotes from this psalm and refers it directly to Jesus. He says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now that's not a very popular message today, is it? That salvation is found in no one else apart from Jesus. In our so-called age of tolerance, the one thing that the builders of today's society reject out of hand is the claim that Jesus is the only way by which we can come to, to know the one true God and share in that great salvation that he alone has made possible for us. The writer of the psalm, he's kind of speaking by faith, I guess. He says, the Lord has done it this very day. We reflect on what Jesus has done for us. And we can join him in the response. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Verse 26 also picks up, uh, is picked up in the New Testament in speaking about Jesus. Uh, again in Matthew 21, right at the beginning of the chapter. Remember we hear about Jesus, how he entered into Jerusalem, riding on the donkey with people filled with their excitement, and laying their own clothing and branches from the palm trees there on the road as Jesus is welcomed. And they shouted in praise, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest heaven, and they quote directly from this psalm. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now probably if we go back to the psalm itself, the writer of this psalm, he's probably thinking about the king, the Israelite king, God's chosen representative, as he makes his way into procession, in procession probably, uh, into the temple from the house of the Lord we bless you the Lord is God he's made his light shine on us with bows in hand join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar words that are reflected on on that first Palm Sunday as Jesus is welcomed into Jerusalem as he makes his way towards the temple on that great day Hosanna to the son of David. He is God's great king, greater than any of the human kings from the past. So this psalm ends with a very personal response of praise and thanksgiving. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. It's a response, is it not, that we can join together with the writer of this psalm as we reflect on God's goodness to us, as we think about God's enduring love, and we do that with thankfulness in our hearts. Thankfulness and trust in God when things are going well, but also those times when we find ourselves hard-pressed, as the writer of the psalm says. And so we began exactly, or we conclude 
exactly where we began. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let's pray. Father, together with the light of the sun, we rejoice and we give you thanks that you are a God who is good. You are so kind to us. You provide for us so generously. You do that out of your enduring love. Father, help us to be people who trust you in the good times in, in life, but also in those times when we find ourselves hard-pressed. Help us to trust you. Continue to watch over us, we pray. Be at work in our world and in 